This is Pastor Eric Love. I want to thank you for tuning into today's podcast. God told Joshua that if he meditated on the word and obeyed it, that he would make his way prosperous and that he would have good success. My prayer is that as you meditate on this word that you're about to hear and apply it to your life, that you too will find good success. Blessings on you and enjoy this word from the Lord. according to Luke chapter 15 the gospel according to Luke chapter 15 the lesson text is actually going to cover verses 11 through 22 but just to lay a foundation that I can pull a thought from we're going to read down to verse 19 the gospel according to Luke Chapter 15. The lesson text is actually going to cover again verses 11 through 22. But just to grasp the thought that I can pull a thought, just to lay a foundation that I can pull a thought from, we're going to read down to verse 19. And I'm going to quote from the New King James Version. And I believe it reads, verse 11, Then he, referring to Jesus, said, A certain man or a certain father had two sons. And the younger of them says to the father, Give me the portion of goods that belongs to me. So the father divided unto them his livelihood. Verse 13, and not many days after, the young son gathers all he has together, journeys to a far country, and proceeds to waste all his possessions with riotous or prodigal living. Verse 14, but when all was spent, a a severe or massive famine arises in the land, that places the boy now in need or in want. So he goes and joins himself to a citizen of the country. The citizen sends him out into the fields, and his primary job now is to feed the hogs or the swine. Verse 16, and he would have gladly filled his stomach with the slop, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, with the pods that the hogs or the swine ate, for nobody was willing to give him anything. But when he came to himself, he asked the question, how many of my father's hired hands or hired servants have bread enough to eat and to spare? And my belly up here swollen because I'm about to perish from hunger. Verse 18, forget this, I'm going back to daddy's house. I will arise, go back to my father's house, and I will say to him, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. Verse 19, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But if you would make me like one of your hired servants, I believe that's all we need. Um, 
Pastor referenced this on Wednesday, and I want to reiterate it because it's going to help me draw a thought. One of the things I find interesting is the dramatic shift and change in this boy's attitude. You see it on full display when you look at verse 12, verses 19. The Bible says in verse 12, he goes to the father with attitude saying, you give me or you grant me. But by the time life gets through whooping on him and he has to go through some circumstances, his tune changes in verse 19. All of a sudden, he's so humble, he's so mild-mannered, he's so calm, and now his request of the father is, if you would, make me or mold me. So there's a drastic shift and change in this boy's attitude. So I had to ask myself the question, what caused such a dramatic change in this boy's attitude? What experience did he encounter or go through that caused such a shift? And what he went through was the hall pen experience. And so that's what we're going to talk about on today, the hall pen experience. Because I would suggest to you God understands the necessity of hall pen experiences. See, God understands some of us are like the prodigal son. And it's going to take us going to the hall pen and being bombarded and hit by a multiplicity of life situations before we give God our undivided attention. I'm going to say that again. God understands the essentialness of hall pen experiences. God understands some of us are just like the prodigal son. It's going to take us being beat up by multiplicity of life situations before we give God our undivided attention. So we're going to talk about the hall pen experience. If you would, lend me your ears and your prayers, and we're going to try to get out the way. The hall pen experience. In order to introduce this notion Concerning the hall pen experience, I'm reminded of a quote I stumbled across from Helen Keller. Uh, just a little background on Helen Keller. Helen Keller is a renowned author, but Helen Keller hadn't had it easy her whole entirety of her life. For at the age of two, or around the age of two, she's stricken with the illness that left her both deaf and blind for the remainder of her life. So this is a woman that knows what it is to face adversity. This is a woman that knows what it is to face difficulties. This is a woman that knows what it is to overcome hardships. So I find it interesting the quote she had on character. This is what Helen Keller says about character. Character is not defined nor developed through ease and quiet. It is only through the experience or the crucible of trial and suffering that the soul can be strengthened ambition inspired and success achieved. I'm going to say that again. This is what Helen Keller had to say about character. A woman who knows what it is to go through hardships. She says character cannot be defined, developed, nor cultivated through ease, peace, and quiet. It is only through the experience of the crucible of trials, troubles, and suffering that the soul can be strengthened, ambition inspired, and success achieved. And as I pondered those thoughts of Helen Keller, it seems to me Helen Keller would suggest to her family that sometimes in life it's necessary to go through the unwanted. All right, all right, all sometimes in life it's necessary to go through the unwelcome. Sometimes in life it's necessary to go through the unwarranted. Sometimes in life it's necessary to go through the unwished for. Matter of fact, sometimes in life it's necessary to go through the unplanned and unpleasant. In fact, Helen Keller would suggest to us, sometimes in life, it's necessary and essential to go through conflict to perfect and correct conduct. 
Oh, I wish I had somebody. I'm going to say that again. Helen Keller would suggest to us, based on her logic and wisdom, sometimes in life, it's necessary and essential to go through conflict to perfect and correct conduct. Unless I cause you to think, I stopped by to preach Helen Keller on today. Let's quickly shift gears and talk about God. Because I would suggest to you, God understands that same truth and that same dynamic. For God says through the Apostle Paul in Romans 5, verses 3 and 4, not only that, but we glory in tribulation. For tribulation worketh perseverance, and you need perseverance to help out your character. Oh, I wish I had somebody. I'm going to say it again. Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verses 3 and 4, not only that, but we glory in tribulation. For tribulation worketh perseverance, and you need perseverance to help out your character. So God would suggest to us through the Apostle Paul, sometimes I've got to take man through the chaotic so I can work on his character. Oh, I'm going to say that again. God would suggest to us through the Apostle Paul, sometimes it's necessary and vital. It's paramount for me to take man through the chaotic because it's the only way I can work on his character. And if you can grasp those thoughts, if you can grasp those sentiments, I believe it's those thoughts and sentiments that are at the heart of the text we're presenting on this morning. For here in this text, we have a young boy or a young son that's got to go through conflict to work on his messed up conduct, and he's got to go to, through the chaotic to work on his jacked up character. Oh, I wish I had somebody. I'm going to say it again. If you can gas the wisdom that was given through Paul, the Apostle Paul and Helen Keller, we see that same truth on display in this text. For here in this text again, we have a boy that's got to go through conflict to work on his messed up conduct, and he's got to go through the chaotic to work on his character. Right about there, that brings me to my text. Here in this text, we are presented a father that has two sons. And the Bible says the younger of the two sons goes up to the father and basically tells his daddy these words, run me my money. Oh, I wish I had somebody right there. I'm going to say it again. We are presented a father who has two sons. And the youngest of the two sons goes up to the father and basically tells his daddy these words, run me my money. In other words, give me what belongs to me. Give me the portion of goods that's supposed to fall to me. So here in the text, the boy is seeking blessings and benefits. He's seeking revenue and rewards. But there's something interesting about these gifts he's asking from his daddy. He's seeking these gifts primarily based on his relationship to the father, not necessarily his readiness for favor. I'm going to say it again. He goes to the father, or he goes to his daddy, seeking benefits and blessings. He's seeking revenue and rewards. But there's something intriguing about the gifts in which he's inquiring about. He wants these gifts based on his relationship to the father, not necessarily his readiness for favor. And we're going to soon see how this scenario plays out. The Bible says the father gives acquiesces and gives this boy what he asks for. And just as soon as the father favors him, <laughs> just as soon as the father bountifully blesses this boy, as soon as the father gives this boy his heart's desire, as soon as the father gives this boy what he wants, this is how he repays the father. He chucks the father the deuce, tells the father, I'll holler at you and I'm out of here, gets as far away from the father as he possibly can and starts to live his life righteously. I'm going to say it again. As soon as the father gives this boy favor, 
just as soon as the father bountifully blessed this boy, just as soon as he given his heart's desire, this is how he pays the father back. He chunks the father to deuce. Tells the father, I holler at you and I'm out of here. Gets as far away from the father as he possibly can and starts to live his life righteously. Can I digress right here and suggest to you, this is the primary situation as to why God can give some of us favor. Oh, I wish I had somebody right there. I'm going to say it again. This is the prime situation or the prime reasoning why God can give some folk favor. Because God understands some folk are hard to deal with and hard to get along with with $2 in their pocket. Just imagine how funny acting they'll be. Just imagine how foolish acting they'll be if God done favor in their lap. See, God understands the harsh reality concerning favor. And here's that harsh reality. Favor, if it's given before the individual is ready. Favor, if it's given before it's merited. Favor, if it's given before it's warranted. Favor will ruin you just as easily and just as rapidly as failure can. Oh, I wish I had somebody. I'm going to say that again. God understands the harsh reality of favor. And that harsh reality is, if favor is given too early, if it's given before the individual is, before it's merited or warranted, favor will ruin you just as easily and just as rapidly as failure can. The Bible says he leaves his daddy's house. But I believe, Pastor, there's another reason he left his daddy's house. You see, his daddy's house has rules. <laughs> and we have a boy here that ain't too keen on following rules. You see, he recognized he can't act like he want to act while he's still living in his daddy's or parents' house. He can't just live like he want to live while he's still living in his daddy's or parents' house. He can't just come and go as he please while he's still living in his daddy's or parents' house. He can't just be who he want to be as long as he's living in his daddy's or parents' house. And because since he's smelling and feeling himself too much and he think he's so grown, the only thing left for them to do is get his grown tail out. I wish I had somebody right there. I wish I had somebody. I'm going to say that again. His daddy's house has rules. And this boy ain't too keen on following in the rules. He recognized, I can't act like I want to act while I'm still in daddy's house. I can't live like I want to live while I'm still in daddy's house. I can't just come and go as I please while I'm still living in daddy's house. I can't be who I want to be while I'm still living in daddy's house. And so since he thinks he's so grown, he can get his grown self out. So here in the text, we find a boy that's in a rush and in a hurry to be an adult. But if the truth be told, this boy don't know the first thing about being an adult, and he's not ready for the responsibility. I'm going to say it again. Here in this text, we find a boy that's in a rush and in a hurry to hurry up and be an adult. But if the truth be told, he don't know the first thing about being an adult, and he don't, know, he, don't know, he don't understand the responsibility that comes with it. You see, this boy wants to be his own man. He wants to live his life his own way. He wants to live his life by his own rules, and he wants to live his life on his own terms. I wish I had somebody right there. I'm going to say it again, because I got some young folk that are just like this. You want to be your own man or your own woman. Live your life by your own rules. Live your life your own way, and live your life on your own terms. Let me suggest to you, you can be your own man or own woman, but that may have a cost. You can live your life your own way, but that may have a cost. You can live your life by your own rules, but that may have a cost. You may live your life by your own terms, but that may have a cost. Because the Bible says, according to Proverbs 14 and 12, there's a way that seems right to a man. But you might have to check out the ending. The end thereof is the way of death. The Bible says he leaves his daddy's house. 
And after leaving his daddy's house, we are introduced to this chilling reality. And that chilling reality is this. This boy has some gross deficiencies in his maturity. He has some gross deficiencies in his morality. He has some gross deficiencies in his accountability. He has some gross deficiencies in his responsibility. In other words, I would suggest to you, family, there were some lessons or there got to be some principles and precepts he either failed to learn or refused to learn in the father's household. So whatever he didn't want to learn in the father's household, he's going to be forced to learn in a faded hall pen. Say it again. Not many days after he left his daddy's house, we are introduced to the fact this boy had some major character flaws, some major character issues, and some major character uh, failings. So in other words, there has got to be some lessons. There has got to be some principles and precepts. He failed to learn in the father's household. So consequently, what he didn't learn in the father's household, he's going to be forced to learn in the faded hall pen. You have to understand what I'm suggesting to you. When you look at the father's household, it represents those things that are spiritual because it's the house that belongs to the father. When you look at the faded hall pen, it's indicative of life circumstances. So when you hear the phrase faded hall pen, it represents those things that are situational. I'm going to say it again. When you look at the father's household, it represents those things that are spiritual because it's the house that belongs to the father. When you look at the faded hall pen, it's indicative of life situations or circumstances. So it represents those things that are situational. And what I said was what he didn't learn in the father's household, he's going to be forced to learn in the faded hall pen. This is what I'm trying to tell you. If God cannot talk to you spiritually, you're going to force God to talk to you situationally. Oh, I wish I had somebody right there. I'm going to say it again. If God cannot talk to you spiritually, you're going you're gonna to force God to talk to you situationally. And I'm not telling you what I heard. Let me wave my hand and tell you what I sure enough know. If God cannot get through to you, if God cannot get your focus, if God cannot get your primary attention spiritually, you're going to force him to get it situationally. And here's the truth. You're not going to be able to ignore God on both fronts. If you ignore him spiritually, it's going to be hard to ignore him when you start talking situationally. I wish I had somebody right there. Y'all going to pray with me for a little while? <laughs> the Bible says, because of this boy's decision, because of this boy's choices, because of his rebelliousness, because of his disobedience, because of his stubbornness, he's going to have to spend some quality time in the hall pen. And the sit uh, and a synopsis of what got him there is the Bible says, suggests after the father blesses him real well and blesses him real good, the Bible says, but he starts to, he, this boy just went buck wild. This boy, right after he left his daddy's house, he just gets buck wild and starts living his life riotously and recklessly. The Bible said he lives his life so crazy that the Bible says he squanders every single thing his daddy gave him. The Bible says after squandering all, all of a sudden he gets a knock at the door. And on the other side of the door is life's troubles. But life's troubles don't come empty-handed. They come with baggage. They come with suitcases. They come with carry-on items. Because this kind of trouble comes to stay a little while. The Bible says trouble comes knocking at his door. There's a famine that sweeps through the land. And the famine is so severe, it puts this boy in extreme want or extreme need. The Bible suggests his need is so great, it causes him to tie up to somebody that doesn't want to be tied to him. 
The Bible says he ties up to a citizen. Citizen didn't even want to fool with him. Citizen sent him out into the field to do manual labor. And when he gets out into the field, his primary entertainers, not anymore, his primary homies, his primary associates, and his primary company keepers are hogs. I wish I had somebody like that. I'm going to say it again. Because of this boy's decisions, because of his choices, because of his disobedience and rebelliousness, he's got to spend some quality time down in the hog pen. And a little synopsis of what got him there is the Bible says after the father blesses this boy real good and blesses this boy real well, he leaves his father's house, and when he leaves his father's house, he goes buck wild and starts living his life just crazy. The Bible said he starts to live his life recklessly. The Bible said he lives his life so crazy that he squanders every single thing that the father gives him. And after squandering it all, all of a sudden a knock comes at the door. Trouble comes knocking. Trouble he can't be prepared for. Trouble he didn't expect. The Bible says a famine sweeps through the land. The famine is so severe, it puts the boy in major want and major need. The Bible says his need is so great, it forces him to tie to somebody he shouldn't be tied to. The Bible says he ties to a citizen that didn't want to fool with him. The citizen sends him out into the field to do manual labor. And when he gets out to the field, his primary company keepers, his primary homies are hogs. The reason why I take my time to paint this text, I need you to see the way the text started is vastly different from where the text is now. The way the text began is very different from where it is now. When you look at the text, it started out with this boy giving, being given a revenue and rewards, but now he's living in wrecked ruins. It started out with him giving unlimited favor, but now he's an ultimate failure. Oh, I wish I had somebody right there. I'm gonna say it again. The reason why I wanted to take my time to paint this text, I needed you to see the vast contrast between the way the text started and where the text is now. When the text started out, he was given revenue and rewards, but now he's seemingly living in wrecked ruins. When it started out, he was given unlimited favor, but now he's living as an ultimate failure. So I, if you will allow me, Pastor, I would suggest this text is tailored to teach us a truth about what happens when God gives favor out too early. I told you it's going to come back up again, and this is what we find out. If God the Father, or any parent for that matter, if you give your child rewards, releases, and revenue based on the child's request, and the child has failed to show you responsibility and rationality, the result will be ruining and rebellion. I'm going to say that again. I'm going to say it again. When you look at how this text is set up, this text is tailored to teach us the truth about what happens when God passes out favor too early. If God the Father, or any parent for that matter, if you give your child rewards, releases, and revenue based on the child's request, and the child has failed to show you responsibility and rationality, the net result or end result of that child just may be rebellion and ruining. I wish I had somebody. So we have the story. Family, that's the story. Now, if you don't mind, let your boy put it in reverse and back up a little bit. See if we can work the text a little bit further and show you some paramount lessons that can be learned from the totality of the hall pen experience when you refuse to learn them lessons anywhere else. Say it again. We done got an overview of the text. Now, if you don't mind, let me back up a little bit, work the text a little bit further, and show you some lessons that can be learned from the totality of the hall pen experience when you fail to learn them anywhere else. But before I get to those lessons, Pastor, I believe there was another primary teaching this boy had to learn. And I believe it was the impetus and primary reason he had to be put on the pathway to the hall pen. I'm going to say it again. 
I got some lessons he learned from the hall pen. But before I get to those lessons, I believe there was a primary teaching this boy just had to learn, and I believe it was the impetus as to why he had to be put on the pathway to the hall pen. And in order to see this, this, uh, this teaching he had to learn, you have to look at the dynamic of what went down between verse 12 and verse 17. Because when you look at verse, look at verse 12 through verse 17, you, I believe you see that teaching come to fruition. So let's look at verse 12 through 17 to see that teaching this boy had to learn, which was the primary reason he had to go to the hall pen. When you look at verse 12, verse 12 comes before right, the verse 13. So verse 12 is right before he left his daddy's house. And the thing we understand, before he left his daddy's house, he had a lot to say. <laughs> I'm going to say it again. Verse 12 is right before he left his daddy's house. And the one thing we figure out, before he left his daddy's house, oh, he had a lot to say. Oh, this boy had a lot to talk about before he left his daddy's house. Oh, this boy had plenty of attitude. Oh, I can see him flapping his lips. Oh, I can see him bumping his gums. Oh, I can see him working that neck. Oh, he got plenty of attitude, and he has plenty to say and plenty to talk about in verse 12 right before he left his daddy's house. But when we get to verse 13, all that talking seems to subside. For the Bible says he's not talking much in verse 13 because in verse 13, he starts experiencing life situations. He starts losing stuff faster than he ever gained it. So he's not talking too much in verse 13. Verse 14, he's also not talking much because in verse 14, the Bible says things have gone from bad to worse. According to verse 14, he done spent all that he had. A famine comes in the land, and now the boy's in extreme want or extreme need. So he's not talking too much in verse 14. Verse 15 comes around. He's not talking much then because he ties himself to somebody who don't want to be bothered with him. The Bible said the citizen immediately sends him out into the field where he can do manual labor. So he's not talking too much in verse 15. Verse 16 comes around. He's not talking, but his belly is. I wish I had somebody. I'm going to say it again. I, I got to show you that teaching this boy had to learn. Verse 16, he's not talking, but that old stomach is. For the Bible says in verse 16, he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate. So according to verse 16, he's not talking, but his belly is. Then verse 17 comes around, and all of a sudden he comes to himself and finds his voice. And the Bible said he talks to himself and asks the question, how many of my father's hired servants and hired hands have bread enough to spare, and I'm about to perish from hunger? And so somebody's question is, what was that teaching this boy had to learn that was the primary reason he had to go to the hall pen? Can I suggest to you, sometimes the reason folk got to go to the hall pen so you learn how to hush up all your hogwash. I wish I had something. Say it again. Some of the reasons why some folk got to go to the hall pen so you learn how to hush up all that hogwash. Some of us need to learn how to get somewhere and sit down and hush. And sometimes God got to take you to the hall pen so you can learn nothing more but how to hush. I wish I had somebody right there. The Bible says he has to go spend some quality time in the hall pen. And it's in the hall pen he learned some valuable lessons. And I'm going to share these lessons with you and I'm going to get out the way. Because I believe there were four primary lessons this boy learned from the totality of the hall pen experience. The first lesson he learned, he learned a lesson in humility. The second lesson he had to learn, he learned a lesson in humanity. Third lesson he learned, he learned a lesson in hypocrisy. And the fourth lesson he learned, he learned a lesson in heredity. I'm going to say it again. There's four lessons from the totality of the hall pen experience. I believe this boy learned. I'm going to share these lessons and I'm going to get out your way. Because those four lessons are this. The first lesson he had to learn, it was a lesson in humility. 
Second lesson he had to learn, he learned a lesson in humanity. Third lesson this boy learned, he learned a lesson in hypocrisy. And the fourth lesson he learned, he learned a lesson in heredity. Let me work these four points and I'm going to get out your way. First things first, the first lesson this boy had to learn, he learned a lesson in humility. When you look at the word humility, the word humility suggests how to be lessened. When you look at the word humility, it suggests how to be abated. When you look at the word humility, it suggests how to be reduced. So in other words, when you look at the word humility, it suggests how to be brought down some. I'm going to say it again. When you look at the word humility, it means how to be lessened, how to be abated, how to be reduced. In other words, the word humility means how to be brought down a bag or two. And I want to suggest to you, if we fool around and get too high, the Lord and life know how to bring you back down. I'm going to say it again. If we fool around and we get too high, the Lord and life know how to bring you back down. So let's look at the verse 14 to see the three situations this boy went through that caused him his life to take a negative trajectory that served to teach this boy some humility. Because there were three things that happened in verse 14. The first thing that happened is the Bible says all was spent. I'm going to say it again. The text says all was spent. So in other words, whatever his daddy gave him, whatever his daddy blessed him with, this boy has squandered everything and doesn't have anything to show for it. The reason why that's important because we don't know exactly what the father gave him. But if you allow me to spiritually speculate, I can maybe guess, maybe possibly, what the father gave him. Maybe the father gave him property and land. Maybe the father gave him stocks and bonds. Maybe the father gave him jewels and jewelry. Maybe the father gave him benefits and assets. Maybe the father gave him valuables and precious stones. I don't know exactly what the father gave him, but whatever the father gave him, he done squandered it all. I'm going to say it again because I'm going somewhere. Maybe the father gave this boy property and land. Maybe the father gave this boy stocks and bonds. Maybe the father gave this boy jewels and jewelry. Maybe the father gave this boy benefits and assets. Maybe the father gave this boy valuables and precious stones. Again, I don't know exactly what the father gave him, but whatever the father gave him, this boy done squandered it all. The reason why I take my time to point that out, because I got to show you the negative trajectory his life took. This boy went from a position of privilege to a position of poverty. And whenever life takes you from privilege to poverty, can I suggest to you, that's some humility. All I'm trying to tell you is, if we fool around and get too high, the Lord in life know how to bring you back down. The second situation this boy went through is the Bible says there was a massive or severe famine that arose in the land. I'm going to say it again. According to the text, the second situation this boy went through to serve to teach him in humility is the Bible says there was a massive or severe famine that arose in the land. Now, the word I want to concentrate on in the text is not necessarily the word famine, but the adjective that's used to describe the famine. The Bible says, according to the New King James, there was a severe famine that arose in the land. And when you look at the Greek word that's translated to mean severe, it carries a connotation of forcefulness. I'm going to say it again. When you look at the Greek translation of the, that, of the word that's translated to mean severe, it carries a connotation of forcefulness. So this was a famine that was forceful in its intensity, and it was forceful in its magnitude. And considering the Bible uses such an adjective to describe the manner of this famine, I would suggest the condition of this famine was it was possibly not just a uh, 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 depletion or scarcity of food, but more than likely it was an absence and unavailability. I'm going to say it again. The Bible says there was a severe famine that arose in the land. 
And that word severe in the Greek carries a connotation of forcefulness. And seeing how this famine, famine was forceful in its intensity and forceful in its magnitude, I would suggest to you the condition of this famine was such that there was not just an, uh, a, a depletion or a scarcity of food, but more than likely it was an absence of metal availability. Somebody's question is, what's the difference between depletion and scarcity versus absence and, uh, and unavailability? When you look at the words depletion and scarcity, it suggests resources and commodities are low, but they're still there. But when you look at the absence and unavailability, that means the cupboards are bare and ain't nothing left. I'm going to say it again. When you look at the words depletion and scarcity, it suggests resources and commodities are low, but they can still be found. But if there's an absence and unavailability, that means the cupboards are bare and ain't nothing left. The reason why I point that out, you got to know where this boy came from and where the boy is now. In his father's house, there was an abundance of nourishment. But where he is now, there's an absence of necessities. I'm going to say it again. He came from a father's house where there was an abundance of nourishment. But because of his decisions, he's in a place now where there's an absence of necessities. So here's the trajectory his life took. He went from being furnished to being famished. Oh, I'm going to say it again. I'm going to say it again. He went from being furnished to famished. And any time you go from being furnished to famished, can I suggest to you that's some humility? All I'm trying to tell you is if you get too high, the Lord in life know how to bring you back down. But there's a third situation that came up in the text to serve to teach this boy humility. The Bible says that third situation was the Bible says the boy is in now want or need. I'm going to say it again. The text says the boy is in now want or need. The reason why that's important because in his father's house, this boy wanted for nothing. But now he's in a situation where he's wanting for everything. I'm going to say it again. The text says in verse 14, last situation, he's now in a, t in a position where he's in extreme want or need. The reason why that's important, because in his father's house, he wanted for nothing. But now he's in a situation where he's wanting for everything. Let me prove it. Look at that last clause in verse 16. Verse 16, the final clause says, no one gave him anything. If no one gave him anything, he's possibly in a position where he's wanting for everything. But let me also suggest to you, it gets worse than that. I would suggest to you, based on how the text reads, this boy is now in a position where he has to beg and plead for the stuff he needs. I'm going to say it again. If you know how, if you look at the text closely, the text truly shows us this boy is now in a, a position where he may now have to beg and plead for what he needs. Let me prove it. Let's go back to that last clause in verse 16. The text says, no one gave him anything. You want to know why that, that clause is important? Because we wouldn't know nobody was willing to give him anything unless the boy was out there begging the solicitors. I'm going to say it again. The text says, no one gave him anything. How would we know no one was willing to give him anything unless he was out there begging, pleading, and soliciting? So let's look at the third trajectory his life took. His father blessed him real good, so when he left his daddy's house, he was set up to be a blessing. But because of his decisions, he's now having to plead for what he needs, so now he's set up to be a beggar. And so whenever life takes you from being a blesser to a beggar, can I suggest to you, that's humility. All I'm trying to tell you, if you fool around and get too high, the Lord in life know how to bring you back down. So the first thing we talked about, we talked about humility. Now it's about to get fun. Let's look at the word humanity. When you look at the word humanity, to understand the word humanity, you have to look at the word within the word. Housed in the word humanity are two words, human and man. So when you look at the word humanity, all it really is is the study of human and the study of man. And I'm going to suggest to you the whole pen experience taught this boy a lot about man. So let's look at the text and see what he learned about man from the whole pen experience. The Bible said he joined himself to a citizen and wind up in a hall pen. 
Lord have mercy. I'm going to say it again. The Bible said he joined himself to a citizen and wound up in a hall pen. Oh, I wish I had somebody right there. I'm going to say it again. I got to make it make sense. He joined himself to a citizen and wound up in a hall pen. Can I pause here and suggest to you, watch who you hit your wagon to. Oh, y'all going to talk to me in here. I'm going to say it again. Watch who you hit your wagon to. In other words, watch the folk you get connected and tied up to. This boy wind up in the hall pen all because he got tied up to the wrong person. Oh, I wish I had somebody right there. I'm going to say it again. He, he went to the hall pen all because he hitched his wagon to the wrong person. Oh, y'all not feeling me, so let me push this a little bit. He ties up to the, uh, to the uh, citizen, right, and he winds up in the hall pen. So if he needs a hall pen, anybody that knows about anything about hogs and pigs, you know that's a messy situation. So now he's in a situation that's messy and musty. He's in a situation that's dingy and dirty. And he's in a situation that's filthy and funky, all because he got tied up to the wrong person. Oh, I wish I had somebody. I'm going to say it again. He's in a hall pen. So according to the text, he's in a situation that's messy and musty. He's in a situation that's dingy and dirty, and he's also in a situation that's filthy and funky, all because he had the wrong company keeper. Can I suggest to you, if your life is going swell, and things are going smoothly in your life, and all of a sudden it gets a little messy and stank around you, maybe you ought to check out your company keeper. Say that again. If your life is seemingly going smooth and going swell, and all of a sudden it starts to get musty and messy and stank around you, Maybe you ought to check out your company keeper. Say it again. The Bible says he joins himself to a citizen and winds up in the hall pen. The word I want to concentrate here on is the word join. If the citizen and the boy are joined, that means they're united. If the citizen and the boy are joined, that means they should be working together. If the citizen and the boy are joined, that means they should be a team. So here's my problem with the text. If y'all united, if y'all a team, and if y'all working together, why is the boy the only one in the hall pen? Boy, y'all making me work too hard. Let me say it again. Look at the text. Look at the text. The Bible said he joined himself to the citizen. So if y'all join, that suggests y'all united. If y'all join, that means y'all should be working together. If y'all join, that means y'all a team. So the problem I have with the text is if y'all join, if y'all united, if y'all working together, and if y'all a team, why is the, uh, why is the boy the only one working in the hall pen? I believe I got the answer. You want to know why the, bo the boy is in the hall pen and not the citizen? I believe the citizen didn't mind sitting the boy in the hall pen because he didn't mind allowing the boy to get dirty if he can keep his hands clean. Say it again. The reason why the boy is in the hall pen and not the citizen is the citizen didn't mind sitting the boy out in the hall pen to get dirty if it meant he can keep his hands clean. Let me talk to my young people. Don't you tie to nobody that will send you out there to get dirty so they can keep their keep they hands clean. I'm going to say it again. Don't you dare allow somebody to send you out there on something illegal or something you ain't got no business and you get yourself dirty while they keep their hands clean. The Bible says this boy is in the hall pen. But here's the reality. If there's anybody who should be in the hall pen, it's the citizen and not the boy. Because let's look at the text. If you remember verse 13, he went to a far country. So the country he's in don't belong to him. The country he's in belongs to the citizen. And when you look at verse 15, the Bible said the citizen sent the boy out into his field. So according to the text, the fields don't belong to the boy. They belong to the citizen. 
So if the fields belong to the citizen, if there's anybody who should be working the whole field, it's not the boy, but the citizen. Can I suggest to you, don't you dare let someone uh, send you or sentence you to a place they're not supposed to. You say it again. Don't you dare give somebody the license and authority to send you and sentence you to a place they're not supposed to. Because here's the reality. Wherever you allow me to position you to be, I can condition you to stay. You can say it again. Don't let nobody send you or sentence you to a place you're not supposed to. And here's the reason why. Wherever you allow me to position you to be, I can condition you to stay. Don't take my word for it. Let's look at the text. Verse 15, that's where he positions the boy into the whole field. Because the Bible says he sends the boy into the field to feed the swine. So we see positioning in verse 15. You see conditioning in verse 16. The Bible says this boy done been in the whole pen so long that what the hogs eat starts to look good to him. Oh, I wish I had somebody. I'm going to say it again. This boy done been in the hog pen so long that what the hogs are eating starts to look like a delicacy. Do you know how comfortable you don't have to got to, see, to think that what the hogs eating look good? I'm going to say it again. Do you know how comfortable that you have had to have gotten that what the hogs eating start to look good to you? All I'm suggesting to you is don't let nobody send you or sentence you to a place they're not supposed to. Because wherever you give somebody the license to position you, they can't condition you. So we talked about humanity. We talked about humility. And we talked about humanity. Oh, I forgot to tell you the lesson he learned in humanity. Never put your total trust in man. Now let's look at the third point, hypocrisy. When you look at the word hypocrisy, hypocrisy suggests contradictory situations. And there are two contradictory situations that, that come up in the text, but I'm only going to talk about one of them. The Bible says when we get to verse 17, we find out something interesting about this boy's daddy. This boy's daddy may be a ruler. For the Bible says in verse 17, he, he asked the question, how many of my father's many hired servants or many hired hands have bread enough to eat and to spare? So his father has many servants and hired hands under him. If his father has servants and hired hands under him, that suggests his daddy is in rulership. When you look at verse 30, verse 22, we find out not only is his daddy in rulership, but his daddy may be royalty. Because the Bible says he tells one of his servants, go get me a robe and go get me a ring to put it on my boy. I'm going to say it again. When we look at verse 22, we find out this boy's daddy just may be royalty. Because of verse 22, he says, go get me a robe and go get me a ring to put on my boy's finger. So when we look at this boy's daddy, he's a, in rulership and he's, ro he's royalty. The reason why that's important, because this boy is still his daddy's child. So if his daddy is in rulership and his daddy is royalty, that makes this boy a descendant with the DNA of rulership and royalty in his bloodline. Oh, I wish I had somebody. I'm, coming, I'm going somewhere. Y'all don't see me coming. I'm going to say it again. When you look at his daddy, his daddy is in rulership and royalty. And if his daddy is in rulership and royalty, this boy is still his daddy's son. So that means he's a descendant with the DNA of rulership and royalty in his bloodline. Here's the tension of the text. Boy, you are in rulership. And you're supposed to be royal. And the problem I have with you, how can you be designed to be a ruler and designed to be royal, but you're living in rule? I'm going to say it again. How can you be designed or set up to be a ruler or set up to be royal, but you're living in rule? Maybe y'all didn't get it that way, so let me ask the question another way. Why is a powerful son living like a pitiful slave? Oh, y'all ain't going to talk to me in here. I'm going to say it again. Why is a powerful son? Because if he's supposed to be in rulership, 
and he's supposed to be royal. That means he's got power. He's supposed to have power. So why is a powerful son living like a pitiful slave? You want to you know the answer? He had the tenacity of a son, but his tendencies made him a slave. I'm going to say it again. He had the tenacity of a son, but it was his tendencies that made him a slave. Let me explain. When you look at the word tenacity, it means, uh, it means determination. It means will. It means drive. And it was that tenacity that allowed him to go into the presence of the father, ask for what he wanted, and the father gave it to him. So his problem was not tenacity. The problem was his tendencies. What do I mean by tendencies? It was his lifestyle. It was his habits. It was his routines. It was the things he participated in. It was the things he partook of. Even though he had the tenacity to be a son, it was his tendencies that made him a slave. Now let me bring it home. You want to know what's interesting about this situation? That boy is indicative of the church. Because look at the boy. He's a descendant with the DNA of rulership and royalty. The church is descendant with the DNA of rulership and royalty. Let me explain. Don't the Bible call us a royal priesthood? Don't the Bible say we're supposed to be seated in heavenly places? So when you look at us, we are descendants with the DNA of rulership and royalty. And why are God's powerful sons living like pitiful slaves? You want to know why? Even though we have the tenacity to be sons, it's our tendencies that make us slaves. Pastor, now I know why we don't have power in the church. Now I know why we don't see signs and wonders no more in the church. Because it's not our tenacity, it's our tendencies. Because here's the reality. You can't operate in signs and sin at the same time. Say that again. I see now why the church is not operating power. I see now why the powerful is looking pitiful. It's not our tenacity, it's our tendencies. Because the reality is, we cannot operate in signs and sin at the same time. Let me go to my last point. Y'all ain't going to talk to me. The last point is heredity. When you look at the text, I talked about humility. I talked about humanity. And I talked about hypocrisy. And all those lessons were powerful lessons, but none of those lessons brought him back home. I believe it was the lesson in heredity that ended up bringing the boy back home. And somebody, somebody may say, what is heredity? When you look at the word heredity, heredity deals with the rights and privileges of children and offspring. I'm going to say it again. When you look at heredity, the red, 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 heredity suggests the rights and privileges of children and offspring. And I want to suggest to you it was heredity that got this boy back home. Let me explain. I believe this boy knew he had messed up. I believe this boy knew he had squandered all his daddy's possessions. I believe this boy knew he had wrecked his life and was living his life in ruins. I believe the boy knew that. But there was one other thing the boy knew. Out of all the mess I may have done, I am still my father's son. And as long as I got my father's son, and as long as I got breath in my body, I got a reason and a right to go back home. I'm going to say that again. I want to suggest to you it was the lesson in heredity that got this boy to come back home. Because this boy recognized he had messed up. This boy recognized he had lived his life recklessly and riotously. But there was one other thing this boy knew. He knew he was still his father's son. And as long as he was his father's son, and as long as he had breath in his body, he had a right and a reason to go back home. Let's look at verse 17. Verse 17 blessed me because that's when the boy came to himself. Look at the question he asked. He said, how many of my fathers, many hired servants, and many hired hands have bread enough to eat and to spare, and I, who is his son, about to perish from hunger. 
Let me translate what this boy was saying. But this boy re recognizes and realizes this. If, my, if I have a father and he's willing to be that good to a servant, <laughs> if I have a father who's, that, who's willing to be that merciful to a servant, if I have a father that's willing to be that gracious to a servant, just imagine how good he'll be. Just imagine how merciful he'll be. Just imagine how gracious he'll be to a son. I'm going to say it again. This boy recognized if I have a father that is that good to a servant, if I have a father that's willing to be that merciful to a servant, if I have a father that's willing to be that merciful to a servant, just imagine how merciful he'll be. Just imagine how gracious he'll be. Just imagine how good he'll be for a son. Now let me look at uh, going back. Let me tell you the blessing of when you come back home. The Bible says when this boy came back home, the father said, I want you to go into my closet, put out a robe, and I want you to put it on my boy. Let me say it again. I need to show you the blessing of when you're will willing to come back home. The Bible says, he tells one of the servants, go into my closet, pull a robe down, and come back and put it on my boy. The thing that blessed me about this robe is what the father was willing to put the robe over. <laughs> I'm going to say it again. What blessed me about the text is what the father was willing to put the robe over. Let me explain. If you remember, this boy had just come from the hall pen. If he just came from the hall pen, he ain't had a chance to shower. And he ain't had a chance to change his clothes. So when he comes back to the father, he's still wearing the stench and the smell of the hall pen on him. Oh, I wish I had somebody. He's still wearing the stains of the hall pen still on him. He's still wearing the stench or the same threads or clothes of the hall pen on him. I'm going to say it again. The Bible says, but when he, before he came back to the father, the Bible said he was in the hall pen. And so when he came back to the father, he ain't had a chance to shower, nor has he had a chance to get cleaned up. So according to the text, he still has the stench and the smell of the hall pen on him. Oh, Lord have mercy. He still has the stains of the hall pen still on him. He still has the stench or the threads of the hall pen still on him. So let me tell you what that means. If he's wearing the stench, that means he's not all the way clean. If he's wearing the stains, that means he's not all the way correct. If he's wearing the same old stitch or the same old threads, that means he's not all the way cultured. This is what blessing him. He's not all the way clean. <laughs> he's not all the way correct. And he's not all the way cultured. But when he came back to the Father, he's all the way covered. I'm going to say it again. He's not all the way clean. He's not all the way correct. And he's not all the way cultured. But when he was willing to come back to the Father, he's not all the way covered. You want to know why I bless God? Because I recognize, I see myself in that prodigal son. And I recognize, maybe y'all are different. I ain't all the way clean. I wish I had somebody. I recognize I might not be all the way correct. And I also recognize I might not be all the way cultured. But the thing I thank God for is that I'm all the way covered. Do I have anybody in the house that recognize you all the way covered? Oh, I got to get out of here now. I got to get out of here now. Let me show you just how covered this boy is. The Bible says when he was coming back to the house, the father seen him from afar off. And the Bible says the father had compassion on him. The Bible said the father took off running toward the boy. And when he finally gets to the boy, he fell on his neck 
and brought the boy in close. I'm going to say it again. The Bible says when he was coming back home, the father seen the boy from afar off. The Bible said the father had compassion on him. And the Bible said the father took off running toward the boy. And when he got close to the boy, he fell on his neck and embraced him and brought him in close. Now, that don't mean much to you until you understand Old Testament law. In Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 18 to 21, we find out what's supposed to happen to this boy. The Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 1, 21, verse 18 to 24, in the event a child is disobedient, in the event a child is stubborn, in the event a child is rebellious, what the parents would do is bring that child before the elders. The elders would try that child to see if the child was truly disobedient. If the child was found to be disobedient, some elders would get up some rocks, throw it at that boy and kill him to purge the land of the evil. I'm going to say it again. In the Old Testament, according to Old Testament law, in the event a child was known to be disobedient, if they were rebellious, if they were stubborn, what the parent would do is bring that child to the elders. The elders would try the child to see the level of that boy's disobedience. If the child was found to be disobedient, what the elders would do is pick up some rocks and some stones, throw it at that boy to kill him, to purge the land of the evil. Now let's go back to the story. The Bible says the father saw the boy from afar off. He knew that boy had been rebellious. Oh, I wish I had somebody. He knew that boy had been stubborn. He knew that boy had been disobedient. And he also knew, according to the law, the boy deserved death. But thank God he saw him before the elders did. The Bible says he see the boy from afar off. And he takes off running toward the boy. And when he finally gets to the boy, he hugs the boy and brings him in close. Because he understands there might be some elders that still got some rocks in their hands. And I want this boy to know I got him so covered that even if they throw the rocks, it's going to get me and not the boy. I'm going to say it again. The father brings this boy in close because he recognized there might be some elders and some preachers that still got some rocks in their hands. And they might try to throw it and kill the boy. But I got this boy so covered that even if they throw the rocks, it's going to hit me and not the boy. Let me explain to you this situation. The father is covering the boy. So in other words, you got God telling man, you deserve death, but I'm going to take the punishment. Let me say it again. Notice the text. The father has this boy covered just in case the rocks get thrown. In other words, just in case punishment comes. So the father is actually telling this boy, you deserve death, but I'm going to take the punishment. You want to know why I preach the way I do? You want to know why I bless God the way I do? Because I recognize he took the punishment for me. I'm going to say it again. I don't know about y'all, but the reason why I bless God, because I recognize he took the punishment for me. Because had not, got, not God not taken the punishment, I'd have died in my mess, and I died in my sins. Had God not taken the punishment, I'd bust hell wide open. Had God not taken the punishment, my life wouldn't be spared. I thank God that he took the punishment. One more thing, and I'm closing. The Bible says the last thing the father did was he gave him a ring. And he said, put it on my son's finger. And the thing that blessed me is some of the characteristics of this ring. When you look at this ring, it has no starting point, And it has no ending point. Say it again. When you look at this ring, it has no starting point, And it has no ending point. Can I suggest to you God's love has no starting point, has no ending point. In other words, it knows no boundaries. 
Second thing I can tell you about this ring, it goes in a constant, continuous circle. So it, it, when you look at it, it looks like it always just keeps on turning. I'm gonna say it again. This, this ring, it goes in a constant, continuous circle. So when you look at it, it looks like it always keeps turning. Can I tell you the Father's love always just keeps on turning? The reason why I'm still here, because the Father's love just kept on turning. The reason why I didn't die in my mess, because the Father's love just kept on turning. The reason why I can go on a little while longer, because the Father's love just keeps on turning. I thank God that his love just keeps on turning.